noticed in the news this week, the, the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus was all the rage. Uh, the release date was last weekend, and uh, I, I heard they sold like 10 million phones last weekend. Yeah. So years ago, when Steve Jobs announced the first iPhone as, as little more than a combination of three revolutionary projects, a cell phone, an iPod, and a handheld computer with internet connectivity, well, even he did not know what had been unleashed. And then once Apple introduced the App Store, can we get my uh, slides up on screen, please? Um, opened it up to outside uh, developers, the iPhone became capable of performing almost any task that you could dream of. I mean, that's what an app is. It's just a, a it's software broken up into all kinds of little pieces or individual applications, like iTunes, which took albums and CDs and made each song a downloadable individual item. So I, I understand that there are now more than one million apps in the App Store. That's a lot of apps. So now you can say there's an app for that for just about anything you can think of in life. There's an app for that. That's what we're going to explore today. A very simple idea that you are one of God's apps. You are one of God's apps. God wants to empower you. He's designed you in Christ, and he empowers you and wants to use you in specific ways to touch and change the lives of people. Now, I think we all struggle with what we can really do. I mean, we're just one person. What can I really do? What can one person really do in a, a big world of needs? Now, what can you do about the guy behind the counter at the 7-Eleven? Or the sar sarcastic co-worker? Uh, the acting out teenager? The elderly neighbor? The 1.2 billion people who have no clean water? The millions who go to bed hungry every night? The orphans, the widows, the sick, the imprisoned? What can one person do? What can one church do? What can a few people really do? And I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by the needs of people all around us. We can get paralyzed by the magnitude of the world's problems. And my guess is that's exactly what the disciples were feeling and what they were dealing with as the sun was setting over the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago when Jesus pointed to a hungry crowd all around them, and he said to them, you feed them. You feed them. In other words, he was saying to them, you're the app for that. You feed them. You're the app for that. You have come directly from the triune God store. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit has designed your life and wants to use you to touch the lives of others. You're the app for that. So we're going to look at this story from Luke 9. It's a very familiar story to many uh, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke. And what we're going to talk about today, you'll see on the back of your bulletin, sermon notes page, 
What can a few people really do? What can a few people really do? So let's see what's there in Luke chapter 9. For doing good in Jesus' name, wherever you are, with whatever you have, with no strings attached, because you're the app for that. That's what God has designed you for. And God is the power. God is the power behind the app that is you. So Jesus does a miracle in our text today. It's not the first one that he's done in the Gospel of Luke, and it won't be the last one. But this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So clearly, it's a, it's a miracle we're not supposed to miss. We shouldn't miss any of them, but here this is in every Gospel. So let's take a look at what happened. Luke 9 beginning in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. These events take place as the apostles are returning from a short-term mission trip. We heard about that last week in the message at the beginning of chapter 9. Remember, Jesus had sent out the twelve. He had sent them out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Well, apparently, it had been a successful and exhausting trip. So Jesus... He could see it in his followers. He could see it. He knew how tired and hungry and worn out the apostles were. So he hustled them away on a little retreat to a quaint little town to escape the crowd, far from the madding crowd. I mean, wouldn't that have been a, wouldn't you have loved to be there? Go on that little retreat. Jesus says, I, let's, let's just get away. Just, just you and me. Love to have been there. But as crowds are wont to do, the crowd would not be denied. The crowd would not be denied. They heard where the retreat was, and they followed them there in huge numbers. Later, we're going to see in verse 14 that the crowd is numbered at around 5,000 men. That's just men. So no doubt there were many more women and children in that crowd, a huge crowd. And now they, they're surrounding the place where Jesus and the twelve are on retreat. The apostles' heart, I, I think it must have sunk when they saw the crowd surrounding them on this little retreat with Jesus. And they were probably ready to head out the back door, except there were people there too. There, there was just no escape. You know, they were just surrounded by this crowd. But Jesus' heart did something Jesus' heart did something completely different from that. He welcomed the crowd. You see that in verse 11? He welcomed them. He made them part of the retreat. He said, welcome to our retreat. <laughs> and then he began to talk with them about the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. And he began to heal those who needed healing. 
here's what we see, I think, in this event. We see that everybody needs to be with Jesus. Everybody. Whether they realize it yet or not, everybody needs to be with Jesus. There's just no one like Him. He draws people like a magnet because they sense that He loves them and He wants to help them in their need. He has the power combined with love to help them in their deepest need. And this is important because we just need to realize it, 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 it's never our programs, but it's only a person, the person of Jesus Christ, who can really touch a life and satisfy the soul at the deepest level. So the sight of this crowd, you know, Jesus didn't go out the front door and say, what are you doing here? Leave us alone. says, no, the sight of the crowd moved Jesus to just, to just open his arms to them, to welcome them. The apostles, on the other hand, they had a very different reaction. You know, after some time goes by and, you know, they're looking at their watches and they're saying, um, Jesus, enough already. They're ready to push the crowd away. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him, to Jesus, and said, Isn't this what we do with Jesus? We give him orders? That's what they're doing. They're giving him orders. Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. As if Jesus did not know that. The disciples were looking at the very same crowd of people that Jesus was seeing. But where Jesus saw a crowd to be welcomed and lives to be touched, the apostles saw a problem to be sidestepped. They seemed to have an especially bad case of compassion fatigue. You know, they had been on the road in ministry for days at least and maybe weeks. And they'd been giving themselves in ministry to people and they really had nothing left to give. They were spent. You know what that feels like. I think we all know what that feels like. Life is hard. Ministry is hard in a broken world. And sometimes it takes all we have just to get through the day. Just to meet our own needs and care for the people for whom we're responsible. So we know how it feels be worn out, tapped out, burned out. We know how it feels to have nothing left. The disciples knew there was a problem, but as far as they were concerned, it wasn't their problem. Someone should do something, but it wasn't going to be them. And that's when Jesus decided to completely wreck their day. Verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. In other words, you're the app for that. You're the app for that. You give them something to eat. Wow. Jesus has decided to love people through his followers, through the twelve, through you. He didn't have to do it that way. He could do it all himself, and he'd be really, really good at it. 
but he has decided to work through his people, to love people through you, his followers. And maybe you say, okay, I'll buy that. But what he says here, you give them something to eat? Okay, that's not just an unexpected and unreasonable request. It, it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible. I mean, they didn't have enough time. It couldn't be done. It was too late in the day to go out in search of food. And even if they had the time, they didn't have the money. It, it would take a year's salary to feed all these people. And even if they had the time and the money, it wasn't going to solve anything. I mean, the crowd would only need more and want more the next day. The crowds would be back. These people need to take responsibility for themselves. Someone needs to teach them that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Right? Amen. We know how to preach it. <laughs> so Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Here's their reply in verse 13. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. Again, not to mention the women and the children who were there as well. You notice their language? We have only... This is what we do. We don't have very much. We tend to focus on what we don't have. We don't have time, we don't have money, we don't have training, we don't have the gift of mercy, we don't have an outgoing personality. Look, I have used all of those excuses and many more in the face of need. We're like a bunch of first graders who, when the teacher asks, how many of you brought your lunch today? We all raise our hands and say, not me, not me, I don't have anything. Jesus isn't interested in what we don't have. All he asks of us is what we do have. He's not asking if you have 40 hours a week to serve people, or 20 hours, or even 10. He's just asking, do you have an evening that you could invite a neighbor over for dinner? Or an hour to visit someone in the hospital? Or a few minutes to call someone who might be feeling all alone? He's not asking if you have thousands and thousands of dollars to give to the poor and needy. He's asking if you could skip going out to eat once or twice a month and support an orphan overseas. He's asking if you have enough money to pay for the car behind you when you go through the drive through sometime. Or to drop off some groceries for someone. Or to bring some items for the food pantry. He's not asking if you've been to seminary or Bible school or if you have a degree in counseling. He's simply asking if you can offer someone a listening ear, an open heart, or sit on the floor and play with children in the nursery or in a shelter, or read the Bible to someone in the hospital or pray with someone in a nursing home. Jesus is not asking us to give what, what we do not have. He's simply asking us to look again. Well, we have only... He's asking us to look again and see what we do have. What we have received from him. The Bible
Bible says, what do you have that you have not received? That's what God does. He puts things into our lives, into our hands. And then he says, now I want you to do something good with that. Go take care. Look what happens to the disciples. They think they have next to nothing. They have only five loaves and two fish. Look, that's the, that's the ancient equivalent of a couple bologna sandwiches and a bag of chips. I mean, it's not much. It's like a ridiculously small amount in the face of this huge crowd of need. But when they trust Jesus, when they place what they have in His hands, something, well, amazing and unexpected happens. Continuing in verse 14, He said to His disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, He gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Sadly, there have been all kinds of attempts to explain away this miracle, as if it just couldn't have happened, as if Jesus could not have really done this. Uh, Some have suggested that Jesus had a secret stash of food that he had hidden away in advance for just an occasion like this. I'm not making this up. People actually said that. Another suggestion was that some wealthy women had packed up some supersized picnic baskets and sent them out to Jesus. The most common explanation, and I'm sure you've heard this one, is that when the disciples brought out the five loaves and the two fish that they had, It inspired everyone else to bring out the food they had, but they'd been keeping for themselves. In other words, this is a lesson about charity. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. The problem with those explanations is that everything about this story just screams authentic, miraculous, impossible. The vivid details are evidence of an eyewitness the unflattering portrayal of the disciples means that none of them would have made up this story. They would have put themselves in a better light. The fact that it appears in all four Gospels makes it one of the best attested of all Jesus' miracles. And the fact that there were at least 5,000 eyewitnesses would have made it pretty hard to, to pull off a fast one, you know, to pull off a, a hoax of a miracle. Really, the only explanation that makes any sense is that what happened that day in that place is that Jesus worked a miracle. He worked a miracle. The same kind of miracle He can work with whatever we have to bring Him today. If we bring what we have, whatever we have received, whether we think it's much or little or nothing, when we bring what we have, and do what we can with that in Jesus' name. Jesus will take it from there. That's really our big idea this morning. That doing good in Jesus' name means doing what you can with what you have, with what you have received from God, and leaving the results to Him. Trusting Him from start to finish. 
Jesus has this amazing way of doing the most with the least. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Jesus, what has he got to work with here in in our text? Jesus has 12 guys who can't do anything. I mean, that's what he's got. He's got 12 guys who say, we can't do anything. He's got enough food to feed maybe five people. But there are 5,000, at least, hungry people. He fed them all with lots of leftovers. There was more at the end than the beginning. Jesus does the most with the least. This is so against the way that we think. You know, we tend to say, if only I were like this, or if only this were not true of me and my life, if only then, you know, God could really use me. If only all of this stuff was different, then, you know, God could really use me. So we say, you know, if only I were stronger, then I could overcome you know, that, that anger, that lust, that hurt from the past, uh, those fears about the future, uh, this bad habit that, that's killing me today. If only, you know, this were not so, then God could really use me. If only. If only. Man. We ask God to strengthen us, and, well, it's strange what he does. God delivers us from the power of sin, not by making us stronger, but by making us weaker. He sets us free from our sin, and he sends us out, but not in a cloud of glory, which we would like, but with a cross strapped to our backs. Jesus had to show his disciples their total inability before they would be able to see his total ability. They had to come to the end of themselves before they would be able to rely completely upon Jesus and place themselves in his hands. So the less we are, the more he will do. You must decrease so that Jesus might increase. I must decrease so that Jesus might increase. Jesus does the most with the least. Maybe you say to yourself, I feel so helpless and so small. Good. You're in the right place. And I look around me and I see the needs are so big in this community. Good. You're in the right place. But then God can say, let me take your helplessness. Would you place that in my hands? Place your powerlessness in my hands, and let me multiply it into my power. Let me take your weakness, place it in my hands, and and watch me make it my strength. There's so many examples of, of, of this down through history. We all know the name of Beethoven. Did you know his background? Beethoven was the son of a poor, drunken father. Beethoven was deaf deaf by the age of 28. And yet he wrote this soaring music that we enjoy today. God does the most with the least. Handel wrote the Hallelujah Chorus while he was depressed and paralyzed on his right side. And we sing that chorus with joy hundreds of years later. God does the most with the least. 
Fanny Crosby. She wrote hundreds of hymns that the church still sings. And she was a woman who was blind. God does the most with the least. God takes our helplessness. He takes our weakness. And he uses it to show his power, to touch and to change lives. God will use you to do his most if you're willing to be the least in his hands. If you place yourself and whatever it is you have in his hands. You're the app for that. He wants to use you. He wants to involve you in his work in the world. You're the app for that, and he's the power for the app that is you, that he has created and designed. I think verse 17, it's a verse that I think jumps off the, the page at us. It might be one of the most significant verses in the Bible for today, for our city, for our church, for your life, for our ministry. What does it say in verse 17? They're all ate and were satisfied. This wasn't like a little snack. They were satisfied. Satisfied. Only Jesus can satisfy. We need to be honest with ourselves and with each other. I cannot satisfy. You cannot satisfy. Only God can satisfy the human heart, the human soul, the human need. Only about Jesus. But this is the this is the amazing truth and the encouragement is about Jesus you can say satisfaction guaranteed. Can't say that about me. Can't say that about you. Can't say that about our church. But we can say that about our Jesus. Satisfaction guaranteed. They were satisfied. So why this miracle? I think whenever you come to a miracle in the Gospels, it's helpful to ask why. What, what, what's the purpose of this miracle? Um, we know from uh, the Gospel of John that there are other miracles that Jesus did that were not recorded. But the ones that are, they're written down for us, that we might believe in Him, and believing in Him might have life, eternal life in His name. So these miracles that are recorded in the Bible, I mean, they're, they're, it's for a reason very purposeful. We know that Jesus never wasted words. He never wasted actions. He was deliberate. He was purposeful at every turn. He was always about his Heavenly Father's business. He was always on his Heavenly Father's mission. Why did Jesus perform this miracle? Let me just say a couple things about that. First of all, I believe that Jesus performed this miracle in order to bless to bless people. He wanted to bless the crowd. Remember how he welcomed them, talked to them about the kingdom, healed their lives, and now he feeds them. I think he did this to bless people. Now, the reason I say that is keep in mind that these people were hungry, but they weren't starving. Nobody was going to die of starvation, right? They had homes to go to. Most of them had a little bit of money in their pockets. There was food in the towns nearby they could go to. In other words, this wasn't a life or death situation. But Jesus just wanted to bless these people. They were peasants, most of them, farmers, fishermen. Their lives were ordinary and sometimes quite hard. He wanted them to know that they mattered. That they mattered. That their lives really mattered. 
to him and to his heavenly Father. So he decided to do something completely unexpected, something good, to bless them. Did they all understand it? Did they get who he was? Did they turn to him? Did they all turn to him? Was this a a huge revival where everybody turned to him in repentance and faith? Well, no, it wasn't. But the interesting thing to me is that Jesus seems to be okay with that at this moment. He wanted to bless these people. He wanted to give them a taste of God's goodness and a window into God's kingdom, a glimpse into the kingdom of God. As Psalm 34 puts it, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. So if you were one of those people, you were out in the wilderness, and this food was disappearing out of nowhere, out of the hands of Jesus. They must have gone home that day wondering, who was that guy? Like, who was that miracle man? And I wonder what else he can do. And I wonder what else he has to say. And I'll bet that some of them thought, hmm, boy, that, 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 all that bread in the desert, boy, that reminds me of something. What, what is that? You know, it just reminds me of something. And then they remember the manna. Wow, our forefathers wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and God mercifully, graciously kept them alive by sending them bread from heaven. Day after day after day, and here is this Jesus out in the desert giving bread. And he, I think he said something about being the bread that came down from heaven. I think he said something about, I am the bread of life, that whoever comes to me will never hunger why Jesus does this. These these miracles are signs of who he is, signs of the heart of God, the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus asks us to be good as his followers, to bless people with, with acts of kindness and beauty and love and grace. It's a window into the heart of God, into the kingdom of God, to let them know that they matter to someone. A lot of people are going through life thinking that their lives really don't matter. Let them know that they matter to someone and that there's a better way, a different way to live following this Jesus. So when you do something to bless someone, something unexpected, something undeserved, something unscheduled, you know what happens. You kind of stop them in their tracks for just a moment. And this wasn't part of their routine. And they have to ask themselves why someone would do such a thing. In that moment, in that asking, God is able to speak into their lives, to show them a little bit more of himself, and to draw them a bit closer to himself. Can you do good in the name of Jesus Christ? Simple things that God uses in powerful ways. I heard a story one time. I believe it's a true story, about a couple of Christians who decided they went out distributing loaves of bread in a low-income housing project. And they came to an apartment where they could hear loud arguing behind the door. 
that's the kind of thing where you say, maybe we'll just move on to the next door. They hear all this arguing behind the door. They decide to knock anyway. The man opens the door and asks, what do you want? So one of the, the visitors says, well, we don't want anything. We just, we just wondered if you know anyone who could use some loaves of bread. Why are you doing that? The man Just to let people know that God loves them. Just to let them know that they matter to God. What did you say? The man said. He's kind of anxious. What did you say? We're just handing out loaves of bread to let people know that God loves them. Man stared at him. He just stared at him. And then he said, I can't believe it. We just buried our three week old son yesterday, and now you are at our grave. Well, the visitors offered to pray with them, and they, the couple accepted their offer, and they prayed, left a couple of loaves of bread, and and as they were leaving and the door was being closed behind them, they could hear the husband saying to his wife, See, honey, I told you that God cares. We thought he forgot about us. We thought he wasn't paying attention to us, but he sent those people here to make sure we knew. A couple loaves of bread, an offer to pray, a random act of love. That's all God needs to break into someone's life, to let them know He's there, and it matters. He cares. That's why Jesus blessed people, and that's why He asks us as His followers to do the same in His name. But there's a second reason, I think, that Jesus performed uh, this miracle. There's something else going on. I, I believe that He's not just concerned about the crowd. I think He's also concerned about His followers about his disciples. He wants to grow them. Uh, you can see in this passage, passage that there's a need for some growth in their lives. There's a need for growth in our lives as his followers. So he does this miracle not only to bless people, but to grow his disciples. That's the second reason. I want you to think about that for a minute. Did Jesus really need the disciples to help him with this miracle? I mean, really. Did Jesus say to himself, you know, I would, I would love to feed this hungry crowd if only I had a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. Do you think he said that? I, I don't think so. Jesus was perfectly capable of feeding this multitude without the feeble help or any help at all from his disciples. Jesus performed this miracle and involved his disciples he commanded his disciples to help him in this miracle so that he could grow them up as disciples. How do you suppose they might have grown a little bit that day? Well, I think he wanted to soften their hearts. You know, they said, send the people away. He wanted to soften their hearts. He wanted, the, he wanted them to begin to see people the way that he wanted to increase their faith so that they would learn to trust him even when it seemed impossible. He wanted to empower them for ministry. He didn't want them to simply watch him minister. 
but he wanted to include them in what he was doing in the world and empower them for ministry, to show them what he could do through them. They would simply make themselves available to him and place themselves and what little they regarded it as next to nothing, they would place that in his hands. I think that's what those 12 baskets are about. Some commentators say, yes, there's a basket there for the 12, one for the 12 tribes of Israel. I think that's true. But I think on a more personal level, in that moment, 12 baskets of leftovers. You notice what that is? That's a basket of leftovers for each of the 12 disciples who said, we can't do this. We have nothing. And they ended up, each of them, with a basket full of bread and fish that they didn't have at the beginning. One basket for each of them. A personal reminder that when we bring what we have to Jesus, no matter how little it may seem to us, we can do more with it than anything we could ever ask or imagine or dream. Don't sell short what Jesus can do through you. You're the app for that. He wants to use you to touch people in this world for the gospel, for his name's sake. Jesus asks us to follow in his footsteps. He asks us to do good in order to grow us as disciples. Most of us need softer hearts, growing faith, believing that God can actually empower what I do. So doing good is not just about blessing people, blessing our community and the world around it. It is that. But doing good is a means by which we ourselves will be transformed. Jesus goes to work in us. His grace goes to work in us. And we're transformed as we place ourselves into his hands for impossible things. We're transformed more fully into Christ's likeness, into a church that will be his hands and his feet in our community, in Philadelphia and out into the world. And that is our vision for mission. You see it in front of uh, up here every Sunday you come in. Who are we? What are we doing? Why are we here? We are a people of grace. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about how God has broken into our lives through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of our sins and that all we need we find in Christ. That all the promises of God are fulfilled in Him are yes and amen in Him. We're a people of grace. We live by the grace of God. We're renewed by that grace. It's not a once and done. Oh, I trusted in Jesus 20 years ago and haven't been in touch with him since. Well, that's not the picture. The picture is every day I need that good news. That God is with me. That God is for me. That there's forgiveness for me. That there's hope for me. That there's a purpose and a mission in this world for me. Following Jesus. So we're renewed in that grace of the gospel every day. And it renews us to serve in the name of our great God, serve our community and our world. I say that because, you know, we can get mixed up. We can think that spiritual formation is just a matter of prayer and Bible study and worship. But it is also a matter, you see, of service, of mission, of charity, of good works. Doing good is exciting, not only for the impact that it has on people around us, 
they begin to see that they matter, but also for the impact it has on us and our church family because we're transformed to be more like Jesus in the process. So this week, I would like to challenge all of us to open our eyes to the people around us and to do something good in Jesus' name. I'll give you a little project. And to help you do that, we're offering you a very simple little tool that we think can be helpful and powerful. Just a simple little card that you saw in your bulletin today. And there are many more of these. The greeters will be at the, at the doors as you exit after the service. They'll be holding baskets of these cards. Take a handful. Take a couple handfuls. Hand them out. Use them. It's just a simple way to say to someone, you matter. God loves you. You matter. And we care. When you do something good for someone, a, a, a random act of love in the name of Jesus, you can just slip them this card and say, you, you matter. People are not hearing that out in the world. You matter. Shouldn't the people of Jesus be saying that on his behalf to the world around us? You matter. God loves you. We care as And our church info is on the back. It can, it can direct people here if that's something they're interested in. But what I suggest you do, sit down this afternoon, maybe over dinner. Think about some of the things that you might do this week. Just think about the week ahead. And there will be surprises and unexpected and unscheduled things in your life, that's the way God works. But talk this over as a household, as roommates, as a family, as a couple, with your small group. And as you make your way through the week, ask God to help you to see what Jesus sees, to feel what Jesus feels, to do what Jesus does. And then just do something good in His name. Don't worry about the results. That's in His hand. And leave a card, just a simple little card that can bless people. When you're gone, they can look at this and say, somebody cares. Somebody says it makes a difference that I'm here. Maybe I should find out a little more about it. And you know, if you're feeling a little uncomfortable with all this, feeling maybe a little overwhelmed, just remember those disciples on the hillside in Galilee 2,000 years ago. I know, like them, we can come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't do this. You know, we don't have time, we don't have money, we don't have the skill set, we don't have the personality. Uh, I, I don't go through, through the drive through restaurant, so I can't pay for somebody behind. And we can make up all kinds of reasons. But Jesus, I hope it's clear, Jesus is not interested in what you do not have or what you cannot do. He's not interested in that. He simply asks you, what do you have? What have you received? simply asks you to do what you can with what you have and leave the results to Him. That's what you can do in the name of Jesus Christ and in His hand and watch what He will do. Remember, He has saved you. He has forgiven your sin. He has made you new, a new life in Him. And He's designed you for this, to touch the lives of people for Jesus' sake and to help them find their way into the kingdom of God forever, for eternity. Remember, you're the app for this. Amen? Amen. Let us pray.
Lord, we find it very humbling that you would want to include us in what you are doing in the world. Because you could do it all yourself so easily. But you have drawn us to yourself and you have called us to follow you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to place ourselves, our lives, whatever we have, be it little or much, we might regard it as nothing, but Lord, help us to trust you, to place ourselves and whatever we have in your hands, and to see what you would do. What is it, Lord Jesus, that you want to do with our lives this week for the sake of your kingdom, for the touching of the lives of people who are hurting and who know you not? What is it that you would like to do with us this week? Lord, help us to set aside our schedules and our plans enough that we'll be available to you. What is it that you want to do with us? In Jesus' name. Ask the worship team to join me on the platform. And let's get on our feet, close our time in worship. And if you'd like to pray with someone about what you've heard today, uh, prayer team, please come forward, and right down here in the front will be people waiting to pray with you about anything at all that is on your heart today. And uh, so we'll close in worship, and the, and the greeters will have those baskets of cards that you can just pick up a fistful and, and hand them out like candy this week and see what, see what Jesus will